Discover FX's Shogun, the official podcast available now. Every legend begins with a story. Listen and explore episode by episode the story of war, passion, and power set in feudal Japan. Join host Emily Yoshida each week with the creators, cast, and crew in this exclusive companion podcast. They dive deep into the twists and turns of the plot, go behind the scenes, and explore the real-life history that informed the limited series based on James Clavell's best-selling novel. Search FX's Shogun wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode of Stuff They Don't Want You To Know is brought to you by Alienware. During Dell Tech Fest, score game-changing innovations with limited-time deals on select next-gen Alienware gaming tech. New dimensions await with advanced gaming systems like the Alienware M18 laptop powered by an Intel Core i9 processor. Featuring awe-inspiring visuals, liquid cooling, three-dimensional audio with Dolby Atmos, and impressive overclocking potential. Plus, build your dream setup with great deals on select gaming monitors, mice, and more must-have electronics and accessories. When you shop online at Alienware.com deals, you'll have access to leading-edge gaming technology to conquer the competition and free shipping on everything. Amazing prices await you for a limited time only at Alienware.com deals. That's Alienware.com deals. Have you heard about the social media platform for kids? It's called Zikazoo. It's a great place where kids like me can come together to make fun videos. Videos moderated by real people who review content before it's posted to the feed. I love the dance challenges. I love that it's Kids Safe COPPA certified. Uh, I don't know what that means. It means it has built-in privacy protections for your online data. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network. For kids. <laughs> Download the Zigazoo app today. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We are joined, as always, with our super producer, Paul Mission Control Deccant. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this the stuff they don't want you to know. Fellow conspiracy realist, this is a metal episode. And not the same sort of metal as in our church burning episode, but literal oh. metals, minerals materials all the boring stuff that made your eyes glaze over in chemistry class um but let's make it more impactful right from the jump think about how you're hearing today's show you might be listening via your phone maybe on a laptop maybe a smart device maybe even a radio in your vehicle regardless of how we got to you thanks for listening We'd also like to thank a little thing called Rare Earth Elements for, in a very real way, making this show possible. And before too long, we all might also have to thank these minerals and metals for much more disturbing things. But first, here are the facts. What are Rare Earth Metals or Rare Earth Elements or REEs? <laughs> um, they're they're the, a big reason modern civilization exists. Yep. There are 17 elements, roughly, uh, depending on which list you look at and how they're categorized. But 17 uh, metals that are rare earth elements. And really interestingly enough, guys, I didn't know this. They were called earths back in the day because you couldn't break them down. They were just like, they're strong as earth. They are earth. They don't go away. They just are. <laughs> earth. Fire. Water. Heart. Mm, Always. Don't too much heart in this yeah. episode, though. Heart's but like I, the last last priority here. I know. Uh, they they're gave they're really cool. A monkey. I got really excited. I actually got excited about chemistry again with this episode. Oh, the properties of these rare earth metals are fa fa fascinating. They really are kind of like magical materials. 
they very much are. And there are other equally important metal and mineral resources, but these REEs are particularly tricky. Still, don't let the name fool you. Rare earth metals are actually not rare. In fact, they're, they're, they're kind of plentiful, depending on which one you're looking at, throughout Earth's crust. Like if you look at uh, cerium, that's, a, that's one of these substances, it is more abundant than copper. It's just dispersed in what we could diplomatically call a challenging way for mining interest. Because you don't, you don't find like a rich vein of cerium. You find exactly. cerium as part of a as part of a combo meal that's all messed up together you know like like if you were at Chick-fil-A and you got the combo meal and all you really wanted was the coleslaw and you have to figure out a way to extract the coleslaw and it's very very expensive it's more expensive than getting the actual combo or like you buy thousands of boxes of like breakfast cereal in the hopes that you get the magical golden prize you know the the exclusive yeah, sure. And, and what, what you said, Ben, about uh, cerium being more plentiful, I didn't realize that these things are more plentiful, at least most of them, than silver, platinum, gold, all of those. They're just like hanging out. But like you said, tough to get. So tough to get. And this is old beans for humanity. They knew about these things for several centuries. The first one was gadolinite. This was a this is a mineral. It's a black looking mineral that's composed of cerium, yttrium, iron, silicon, and a few other elements, but those are the important ones. This mineral was found back in 1787 in a mine at a village called Yitterby, or Yitterby, uh, Sweden. And fun fact, because of that discovery, four of these rare earth elements got their name from just that little village. So go Sweden. Yeah. Go Sweden, go Yttrium. The Swedes, they're good at like, you know, uh, uh, prefab kind of flat pack furniture, uh, electronic music, and uh, rare earth minerals, apparently. And ABBA. They're Swedish, right? Oh, yeah. They're good yeah. at lots of stuff. I'm just, I'm <laughs> being selective here. But it is fascinating. I did not know that. And uh, yeah, Yttrium. Is the Y silent? Is it Yttrium? Or is it definitely Yttrium? Yttrium. I like leaning into the why yeah. uh, entirely because of HP. Why Lovecraft. not? Yeah, there say. it is. It feels okay. like an HP Lovecraft thing, you know. Totally. <laughs> oh, like the sound that you make when you're possessed by the elder Elden Lords, uh, Yark or Yarm yeah. or whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, let me let me give a quick shout out just while we're still in in the element world. If you head over to your periodic table and you check out just the way it looks, there's a fun little, usually kind of pink. It's pinkish purple, and it's on, if you're looking at it, on the left-hand side, you'll see LA-LU, and it's atomic numbers 57 to 71, and that's our little grouping of elements that we're talking about, uh, including, and I think there are two others that are just above them, scandium and And yttrium. yttrium. Yeah, those are the lanthanides plus scandium and yttrium. And if you are a fan of online quizzes and obsessively learning stuff, uh, I want to give one a shout out, Sporkle, which has a free quiz to help you memorize the uh, all, all the known elements of the human periodic table in awesome. case that ever comes up. Um, <laughs> it's, it gives you 10 minutes. It counts down. It doesn't. I mean, it's easy to cheat if you want, but, you know. If you can get away from Elden Ring long enough. And also, uh, fun fact, Sporkle is also a, a, a Swedish export. Yes, it's true. They're known for their Sporkles. Uh, the, the, this is the question that comes up when you hear about, when you hear this sort of talk about resources and elements and chemistry. First question, why do these things matter? I'm already put off, you might say, because the name is misleading. They're not actually rare. They're just inconvenient. We should call them inconvenient earth metals or whatever. <laughs> well, it turns out they are super important. They are key to current civilization and will continue to be key uh, to this civilization. As a matter of fact, spoiler, toward the end of today's episode, you may ask yourself whether there is in some sense blood on your smartphone. But 
Oh, boy. For happier things, yeah. Let's go to the U.S. Geological Survey. They have a great summary of the situation. And this quotation is a little lengthy, but I think it, I think it drives the need for these things home. Absolutely, it does. So uh, the rare earth metals are essentially, according to the U.S. Geological Survey, um, they're often abbreviated as REE or RE. They are necessary components of more than 200 products across a wide range of applications, especially high-tech consumer products such as cellular telephones, computer hard drives, electric and hybrid vehicles, and flat screen monitors and televisions. Look around, boys. You see any of these items in your immediate purview? I sure do, without having to look around, just opening my eyes and looking in front of me. Uh, yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. there's there's a ton of things. LEDs should be included in there. Yep. Uh, there's all kinds of things. Uh, the, uh, the the geological survey goes on. Significant defense applications include electronic displays, guidance systems, lasers, uh, and radar and sonar systems. Although the amount of REE used in a product may not be a significant part of that product by weight, value, or volume, the REE can be necessary for the device to function. For example, magnets made of REE often represent only a small fraction of the total weight. But without them, the spindle motors and voice coils of desktops and laptops would not be possible so in other words there's just no substitute for the damn stuff right at this point and and of course people are trying to figure out something that might be an alternative but the problem is getting those same capabilities for a comparable cost uh, think of it this way you know everybody knows what cars are vehicles if we're the first people to introduce you to that concept awesome and also very weird but think of a car Wheels make up a relatively small amount of your car's mass and a small amount of its weight. But without them, you, your car doesn't work. It becomes a sculpture. Uh, REEs can make up a small piece of a given electronic uh, or industrial device. But without that small component, the thing is bricked. And mm-hmm. if you like stick with the car comparison, let's make it literal instead of uh, an analogy – Neodymium, one of the most highly prized metals, is used for those magnets, like you described, Noel, in motors. Lanthanum is used in electric car batteries. Uh, The average Toyota Prius has 25 pounds of rare earth metals powering its hybrid engine in every single car. And without these, modern civilization, not a thing. And it's weird that such a huge, huge issue humanity's present and its future could hinge on these surprisingly humble little elements. It, it, to me, you guys, it is like discovering extraterrestrial technology or something, but it was just here the whole time. But we just found, you know, that discovery where, oh my God, these things that were here the whole time could do this really special thing. Um, but it feels like, you know, I'm looking at all the screens, all the flat, screens that are around me it does feel like we stumbled on some magical thing that now just allows our life to continue i think about that too pretty often you know it's always the mental exercise what would most impress a time traveler from the past who made it to 2022 um it's really tough to guess i think screens and technology would want be one of the big ones but so would airplanes and also stuff like the availability of pepper or saffron you know what i mean Oh, like, that's a really easily a overlooked now. one, Ben. That's a really yeah. <laughs> Speaking of, did you guys hear Sriracha isn't taking oh, yeah. any more orders? Nope, not for a time. It's not Sriracha. It's the, the company that makes it. I can't remember the name, but it's the real feng, Sriracha. Feng something. Feng, feng Shui. It's not Feng Shui. It's ha, fa, <laughs> something foods. But also, <laughs> yeah. it's a small operation. Like, I think the, the main plant where they make it, people that live around there are always complaining that their eyes are burning and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> All the peppers. Oh, by the way, for, for time travel impressing uh, uh, flexes, I would also argue industrial lasers would be cool. No. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Are, are you kidding? Nice shoes might do. <laughs> zippers. <laughs> Freaking zippers, man. They would be like, what? I don't trust it. It's devil stuff. It is always a red flag in time travel movies when no one immediately murders the the heretic. That's <laughs> just all right. of a sudden like in their world wearing weird magic clothes. You know what I mean? Right. Like, all of a sudden they, they yeah. learn improv and, and they're yeah. like, no, tell like, us more about your situation. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so 
Uh, it's Hui Fong Foods. Yes, I yes. I said yeah, Feng Shui. Right. That was very wrong. No, you but, get. I yeah, had a Hui sound and a, and a Fang. Mm-hmm. So here's the deal: this stuff, and uh, as useful as it is, as grateful as we are that uh, the person at the mine in Sweden didn't just throw this black rock away, it doesn't exist in a vacuum. It's not just nifty stuff for gadgets. It's known to be very important. It's mission critical for this species, humanity. The global landscape is changing. Back in 1993, the U.S. and China were the biggest producers of these substances. China made about 38% of everything. The U.S. made 33%. Australia made 12%. And the other 17% came from India, Malaysia, Brazil, Canada, South Africa, Sri Lanka, Thailand. But that has changed rapidly, in, and it's by design, as we'll find. Mm-hmm. In 2008, China went from uh, making 38% of stuff to making 90% of it. And then by 2011, that number rose to 97%. China touches it in some way, even if it's not mined there. And ever since the 1990s, the government of China has become increasingly protective of these substances, of these re's, and they smart limit move. how smart move. And they limit how much can be produced, and uh, they've also at times limited how much can be exported. It's a very rational move. It makes sense. Any government would do that if they had, you know, unless they were like being victimized by stronger foreign powers, as we'll see. But you can understand how entities in other parts of the world, governments and corporations, they might not vibe with it. Well, I know, I know we're going to get into this uh, later, but it's like you'll, you'll recall that in the thick of COVID, it was like really hard to get a car. And it wasn't necessarily because of like the stuff that makes the outside of the car or like the plastics that make like the dash and stuff. It was all of these like microprocessors and like superconductors, semiconductors rather, that, um, you know, make up the electronics inside the car uh, because of supply chain issues. Because of, you know, this very limited kind of monopolistic uh, hold that, that uh, China has on these uh, these materials. It just should be noted right now, we, we're talking about 97% in 2011. Uh, we're going to get into it, but the whole world kind of smelled what the rock was cooking in, <laughs> in China. And they went, uh, okay, we need to up our game here. So those numbers have changed now. I've been, the last thing I saw was put China at about 80% of That's still massive, uh, production. <laughs> That's insane. Yeah. It's about 80% right now. And we'll get, as we get closer to the end, we'll get to some other numbers, but what you'll find is the issue. It's kind of like oil refineries, right? Getting the raw material is a separate profit stream from uh, refining it or making it into something usable, separating the combo meal, as it were. Uh, And why are people worried about the future here? Well, you can already guess, fellow conspiracy realists, but to put it very diplomatically, humans have never been super awesome at sharing stuff especially resources, water, gold, land, food, animals, you name it. There is a possible conflict looming on the horizon. This is an historical fact. And right now there's nothing to indicate that the growing importance of rare earth elements will be any different. As you listen to today's episode, governments, your government, no matter where you live, and companies around the world, as well as some corrupt, very powerful individuals, are actively conspiring to get the best seat at the table for this new gold rush. And they are increasingly less concerned with who might get hurt in the process. We're going to pause for a word from our sponsors, and we'll return. There's plenty to celebrate in March. And ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Did you know that most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate, but not with 80 Acres Farms? Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled, going from farm to store in days, not weeks. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long which means less food waste and easy meal planning. 
Oh, and did I mention there's no need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. Toyota believes in the power of personal choice for reducing carbon emissions. Beyond Zero is their vision to go beyond carbon neutrality, and they're working toward it with a diverse lineup of electrified vehicles. And electrified doesn't just mean plugified either. Toyota offers more low and zero emissions vehicles combined than any other automaker, so you have choices that fit your lifestyle. Whether you want a hybrid EV that starts and handles like a traditional Toyota with better MPG, a battery EV that delivers a smooth, silent, clean ride, or a plug-in hybrid EV that goes between battery and fuel to give you the best of both worlds, Toyota has you covered. And for those of you who prefer hydrogen, Toyota's fuel cell EVs emit nothing but water vapor from the tailpipe. So cool. But it doesn't stop with vehicles. Toyota is decreasing its plastic waste, supporting water conservation efforts, and expanding programs that protect critical species, all to help reduce their environmental footprint and create a positive impact on society, giving you the choice on how to reduce carbon emissions. That's Toyota's Beyond Zero Vision. Visit toyota.com slash electrified dash vehicles slash beyond dash zero dash vision. Toyota, let's go places. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Here's where it gets crazy. All right. Conflict resources. Let's talk about it. Let's say the the um, five of us on the show, uh, Matt, Noel, myself, Mission Control, and you listening, let's say we're in a, a regional conflict. We're either a government and we're fighting rebel militias, or we're part of a rebel force and we're fighting a government. Whichever side we're on, we're doing it because we're convinced we have the moral high ground. Other people might agree with us. They might, you know, want to supply us arms. They might want to supply training. They might just, you know, make like viral social media posts or something. Oh. But the thing is, yeah. But the thing is, thoughts and prayers don't pay the bills. Conflict is expensive. We have to fund our side of the war. And that's where we start looking for physical control of areas with lots of resources. Cocaine, for example, or oil or nowadays rare earth minerals. If we can extract these and we can ex exercise a tax on them, no matter who we're hurting in the process, then we can sell them and we'll continue our conflict. And the people we sell them to can use any number of like proxies and, and middlemen actors to give themselves legal cover. And they will almost never ask questions about where this stuff actually comes from. It's an old idea. Yeah. Um, our country's been doing it for a long time. We learned from the best tip of the hat, Great Britain. Uh, <laughs> just, you know, moving into a place and taking the stuff to sell it. Maybe back to the same people that you just took over from. The, the word you're looking for, perhaps, is pillaging. Yes. Yeah. Taking. Taking what's... It's ours. It's ours. We, we, we got here. We, like, we, we pushed the other people out of the way. That means it's rightfully ours. Yeah. So that's that's an old thing for for many people right now. Not reading your mind, but uh, you probably just thought of blood diamonds, right? That is another conflict resource. That's the umbrella term for these. But blood diamonds are only the most well known example in in the West right now to the public. If you look at something like the mining industry in the Democratic Republic of Congo. You'll see that one of the big, big deals there is something you might not think about often. It's a thing called coltan. Coltan is important because it provides the element tantalum, which is used in many mobile phones. Huge deal. Uh, this resource, 100% financed fighting during the Second Congo War, 1998 to 2003. Another thing you probably didn't hear much about on the evening news, right? 
and you certainly didn't hear about the money that was involved and the way it, the ways in which mining financed this war. It was such a big deal in the Congo that control of the mines became its own military objective. They would go out and say, hey, we need to get the mine because the mine is profitable. And when, like, again, back to small things. So coltan, or like the components made from it, control the flow of electricity and mobile phones. Without this stuff, your phone is bricked. And more and more and more people are, are using mobile phones. It's like the most common way to access the internet. Some people treat it um, entirely like a, another part of their brain. It lives with them. You are probably within reaching distance of your uh, cellular device now. The largest reserves of this coltan stuff, they're in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Uh, they finance sustaining civil wars on the African continent. And in, in the DRC, those wars directly relate to the profits from these substances. The trade continues today in the east of the country. These mines are often in really remote places, really dangerous areas of the world. At this point, we want to introduce the International Peace Information Service, or IPIS. IPIS has a delightful acronym, but they have some terrible news. Uh, their studies have indicated that uh, for years, armed groups were present at more than 50% of all the mining sites in the country. And they weren't just loafing around. At a lot of these sites, they would force the local civilians into work. They would illegally extort them, illegally tax them, uh, miners, including children. So miners with an E and miners with an O work these shifts that go up to 48 hours around mudslides, tunnel collapses. Uh, these are fatal. OSHA is not a thing. And uh, perhaps most horrifyingly, both sides of conflicts, uh, like the militia groups, but the Congolese National Army as well, have been known to use sexual assault and violence to control the locals and control the mines. Yeah, and this has been happening since really the birth and golden age of smartphones that occurred. Remember, we were talking about late 90s to early 2000s? So that's that started happening then, and it just continues today. And it's horrifying to think about with the number of smartphones that exist on the planet right now that are being actively used and thrown away and new ones purchased and created. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, it's such a waste, wasteful culture. I don't know if you guys have seen these, but there are literally machines at some grocery stores where you can just feed your one generation old smartphone into a slot and then it'll give you like a couple bucks for it while presumably recycling it. I don't know exactly where that stuff goes, but they're probably just trying to pull some of those rare earth minerals out of it and, you know, sell them in bulk, I guess. That's, that's how they're amassing it. But yeah, this really reminds me of like the Harkonnens in, um, in Dune uh, in terms of like their use of spice mining on Arrakis to basically fund their supremacy over like the whole galaxy as much as they possibly can. Like they're warlords and they are able to fund their military through the extraction of this resource that everybody needs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In some regions of the Congo, about 30% of school children have been pulled away from their daily lives and forced to work in the mines. So again, we see the supply chain similar to Nestle's activity gathering their ingredients, similar to De Beers' activity, gathering diamonds. It's a tactic, right? And it's a tactic because it's profitable and it works. There are rarely repercussions for the dirty hands involved. The United States is aware of this issue, and a guy named Senator Sam Brownback, back in April of 2009, introduced something he called the Congo Conflicts Minerals Act of 2009, and it said here, if you're an electronics company and you, you work with us, you need to verify and disclose your sources of several specific conflict resources. This legislation died in committee because it was messing with the money, potentially. So Brownback, to the senator's credit, went back and added similar language in the uh, Dodd-Frank Wall Street Reform and Consumer Protection Act. Because without getting in the weeds, that's something you can do in Congress. In Congress, 
folk do it all the time. You just, you want something to happen. So you add your thing in to a totally unrelated piece of legislation. It would be like if we all decided we were going to order pizza and then someone said, well, I'm only ordering pizza if we're also getting wontons and borscht. We're like, well, they don't have that at the pizza place. Well, no deal. Uh, (laughs) That's, it's weird. But uh, Brownback's strategy worked, and this was signed into law on July 21st, 2010. Hopefully these laws can make a difference, and hopefully international organizations can continue to work around the clock to stem or mitigate the human wave of blood and pain created by conflict mining. But it still continues today, and it's going to continue because even though it's a problem not a lot of people want to think about, uh, from us holding our phones all the way to the heights of corporate power where all these complex supply webs of middlemen create this morally convenient, plausible deniability, everybody wants this stuff. And this is this sounds like the point of the episode, but this is just one of three big points. This is one aspect of the larger rare earth gold rush. And it is a gold rush. Uh, And we are part of it. The number of people that own a smart phone, it's like 7.26 billion, which is almost 92% of the world's population. So you're involved, even if you don't want to think about it. We are too. Um, But we're probably not going to be directly involved in uh, the next frontier of the gold rush, just because most people couldn't survive getting to this place. We are kind of involved because I think we mentioned this specific thing back uh, in an episode of Strange News. And so we're, 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 we're involved on the edge. We at least let some people know about it. The, the new gold rush, right? The brand new frontier gold rush that is deep beneath the waves. For around 4,000 meters below the waves, to be exact. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The newest mining frontier. Uh, it reminds me of a sci-fi show that was on many years ago called, um, I can't remember. It was like Star Trek. Second Oil Age. No, Sequest that's DSV? <laughs> yes, that's it. That's the one. Yeah. Sequest DSV. Yeah. Uh, with uh, with, yeah. uh, with Roy, uh, Rob, Roy Scheider from Jaws was in it. And uh-huh. also uh, Jonathan Brandis, who was a big teen heartthrob at the time, who tragically passed away uh, under really sad circumstances. But it had a talking dolphin, um, and it was very eco-driven. Uh, it was all about the ecological kind of stuff. I thought you guys were talking about C-Lab. Oh, C-Lab, yeah. No, C-Lab too. C-Lab <laughs> also great. It's a very different kind of show, but also <laughs> Stone Cold Classic. Yeah, C-Lab is uh, a little more no country for old men. That is going <laughs> to be great for anybody who was watching C-Lab for the first time. Just watch the episode and keep thinking to yourself what it has in common with No Country for Old Men, and then send us an email about the similarities. So let's this newest mining frontier, it's the Pacific Ocean. It's deep in the Pacific Ocean. As we mentioned earlier, in remote parts of the Pacific seabed, there are trillions of these little like potato-sized nodules of rare earth elements. And there, there's enough of them there to really play a part in powering the world as long as someone can figure out how to get get down there more than two miles below the surface and bring them back up. Gee, guys, I don't see any potential fallout from this kind of uh, operation at all. Do you? Zero percent. What could go wrong if we uh, if we make first contact with a lot of these places in the world's least explored, most remote and most poorly understood regions? And most delicately ecologically balanced. Right. We just need we'll just get claws and it'll just grab all the stuff on the ocean floor. Just whatever it is, doesn't matter as long as the nodules are picked up and then we'll just return it to the surface. It'll be fine. But we'll do that a lot. And then we'll post environmentally conscious memes on Instagram for our mining companies. So people know our, our thoughts and prayers are there. You know, uh, these, this thing, like, okay, just like the earlier uh, mineral in Sweden, this was discovered a long time ago. Back in 1875, a ship saw this stuff and they didn't really think much of it. And it wasn't until pretty recently 
that humanity has made the breakthroughs in underwater robotics that make large-scale mining possible, if not advisable, uh, <laughs> because there are a lot of people against it, as you can imagine, messing with things you don't understand, classic human being. But, uh, oh, brother, people want a slice of that undersea pie. Yeah, this is very much, to me, like the what is it, the asteroid mining that we recently discussed? Oh, and yeah, and how everybody kind of sees that as a potential new source of these kinds of minerals. Now we're just going down instead of up, I suppose. Uh, so let's, let's jump to some reporting from The Guardian. This uh, journalist, Rupert Neat, N-E-A-T-E, and he wrote an article looking at the Deep Sea Mining Summit, which occurred in 2022 specifically at the Hilton London Hotel in the Canary Wharf district. And it's really interesting because the summit itself, you you pay money to go and, you know, visit the summit, hear what people are talking about, meet other people in mining. And you had to pay, what was it, Ben? Uh, almost 1,200 pounds just to go and hang out at the event and yeah, learn about it. Yeah, two days. Yeah, so they're mm -hmm. already making money and uh the the delegates are like representatives of environmental concerns but also a lot of banks also a lot of mining interest startups established mining giants like mining is a huge industry and it's a very powerful industry um the organization just to be i guess fair do our due diligence they made some pragmatic points in their advertisements and uh rupert neat points this out too they say, particularly, this stuck out to me, quote, As we move into an era of mining the deep ocean floor, the world's most remote environment, mining companies are working on overcoming the perceived challenges, and developing island nations are watching with interest. As the demand for base metals and minerals surges ever beyond what our land is able to provide, new technological and technical developments are helping to drive forward this new industry— Cue the um, cue the trumpets. You know what I mean. Play the play the marching music. We're off to the underwater races. Everybody's tense. That's why I remember the story because it was a two year rule that got recently yes. triggered back in in April. I think around that time, where the island nations, what was it? They had two years to do something. Oh man, I'm I can't remember it exactly. Uh, it was okay. So. Last year, in 2021, June, as uh, we record this, the Pacific Island nation of Nauru triggered the two-year rule. The two-year rule gives the International Seabed Authority, or ESA, two years to finalize regulations governing this nascent but controversial and growing deep-sea mining industry. So the clock is ticking. The deadline is July of next year. To get our, you know, our safe words, our boundaries, our do's and don'ts all together before the drills start. Uh, there are a lot of people who are against this. I mean, Pacific, several Pacific nations are saying, you know, they've seen what happened to African nations in the past and Latin America. And they're saying, hey, we don't want to be um, robbed of our natural resources, or at least we want to be compensated in some way. And then other folks, including like Sir David Attenborough, are saying, no, just don't do it. You don't know what's down there. Stop. Where will I make my documentaries? <laughs> well, if the oceans are pillaged, well, I have to make at least 10 more before I turn 200. Well, the environmentalist response really does ring true. And I think that's what we focused on in our episode. Just that every time we humanity, whether it's through some new tech where a human can actually get in the craft and get all the way down to the bottom there, again, 4,000 meters below sea level, um, or even if we're just sending ro a robot of some sort to go down there, every time we do it, we discover new species because we don't go there very often. And it's a huge effing place. So, you know, you can just imagine that if we just go down there to take the stuff up from the surface, then we're going to kill a lot of things, things that we don't even know that are there. Yeah. But isn't that the point though? Like, I mean, yeah, people like you and I and Davey Attenborough, 
we care about those things. We, we, we realize that adds a richness to life and, and life on earth and all of that stuff. And we love nature documentaries. But do you think that the, the leaders of these conglomo companies that are banking on getting the stuff care at all, even a little? Any representation of caring about the environment is all optics. It's all in service of some PR line. I don't think they care at all. If it was up to them, they'd kill every single living creature on earth to get to their stuff. I don't know, because rationalization is something that humans are very, very good at, and it's unrelated to intelligence, really. I mean, it's not like it's not like being intelligent makes people be honest with themselves. They just get better at lying to themselves pretty often. It's mental parkour. But uh, I, I know that there are a lot of signals from these groups that say, hey, we want to work on the right environmental regulations, but because people haven't done something like this before, they don't know what those regulations really should be. And a big part of how China jumped ahead in the um, rare earth game hinged on their ability to keep production costs low by not giving two farts about the environment. I'm trying to curse less on the show, Uh, but they, they didn't have to worry about the same expensive regulations. And people are saying, um, you know, and, and scientists and experts are reacting to this too. In the same year, 2021, partially in reaction to this, more than 350 scientists from 44 different countries signed a petition saying, hey, we got to stop. We shouldn't mine in the deep sea until, quote, sufficient and robust scientific information has been obtained. Here's where we go to Luisa Casson, who is uh, who was working with Greenpeace at the time. She said the industry running the conference is crooked. She said the banks who are talking about investing in this are clearly just looking for a quick profit, consequences be damned. She said this destructive new industry wants to rip up an ecosystem we are only just starting to understand. They're aiming to make a quick profit while our oceans and the billions of people relying on them bear the cost. Also important to know, activists for places like Greenpeace point out that the maritime ecosystem is already like on the verge of collapse. You know what I mean? If you like seafood, maybe eat some now. I don't know. I don't know what to do, but, uh, or stop because that'll help. Mm, yeah. <laughs> stop. eating. Yeah. I know. Just stop eating anything. Just stop eating anything. Breathe air. Blame yourself. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, and you know what though? They, they all make great points. And this is probably going to happen one way or another. The United Nations, ESA's sort of parent company, doesn't have a bunch of real enforcement powers. And in a money-driven society, money being the dominant religion of this age, the money's just too good. The need for the materials is just too great. To paraphrase Douglas Adams, so long to the Pacific. Thanks for all the fish. Ah, beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. I mean, it is going to happen. And... Uh, I don't care who you are. If you if you hold that view, you probably like your smartphone. You you know, even if you know that this is a bad idea to get the rare earth elements from that specific place, you know that we need them. Like it's exactly what we're saying here. the The need is too great. We're not humanity isn't going to change its way and just say, okay, guys, no more smartphones, no more internet, no more hybrid cars, no more Teslas. We're done with that stuff now because we can't afford it as a species. <laughs> We're not particularly great at making sacrifices once we've already like gone down a particular road. Uh, I think we had a great Mr. Show quote a couple episodes ago. I'm going to do another one. Uh, it's a, a, a wealthy executive talking about what might happen if the company collapses. And he says, I swear to God, if I have to go from being super rich to just rich, I'll kill myself. Uh, we, we just That's how we think. Like Once you've gone down that road of like luxury or even like basic stuff, you know, uh, having, you know, the ability to, to, you know, doodle around on your smartphone with apps and play games and stuff and text. It's really hard to put that genie back in the bottle, even with the best intentions, because we've kind of trained ourselves to feel like we're owed it in some way. And this still doesn't cover the extent of corruption, contamination, and conspiracy orbiting those neat little gadgets hot in your hands and all the crazy, crazy stuff people will do to manufacture and to sell them to you at a profit. I'm going to pause for a quick word from our sponsor. 
Then we'll return with a third big piece of the conspiracy puzzle when it comes to rare earth elements. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Farm to store in days, not weeks. That's 80 Acres Farms. Did you know most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate? But not 80 Acres Farms. Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's zero need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. Toyota believes in the power of personal choice for reducing carbon emissions. Beyond Zero is their vision to go beyond carbon neutrality, and they're working toward it with a diverse lineup of electrified vehicles. And electrified doesn't just mean plugified either. Toyota offers more low and zero emissions vehicles combined than any other automaker, so you have choices that fit your lifestyle. Whether you want a hybrid EV that starts and handles like a traditional Toyota with better MPG, a battery EV that delivers a smooth, silent, clean ride, or a plug-in hybrid EV that goes between battery and fuel to give you the best of both worlds, Toyota has you covered. And for those of you who prefer hydrogen, Toyota's fuel cell EVs emit nothing but water vapor from the tailpipe. So cool. But it doesn't stop with vehicles. Toyota is decreasing its plastic waste, supporting water conservation efforts, and expanding programs that protect critical species, all to help reduce their environmental footprint and create a positive impact on society, giving you the choice on how to reduce carbon emissions. That's Toyota's Beyond Zero Vision. Visit toyota.com slash electrified-vehicles slash beyond-zero-vision. Toyota, let's go places. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We've returned. Um, if you are a fan of hip hop, I'm sure you heard the song Detroit versus Everybody with the lodge of legendary Detroit MCs. Uh, check out the song. Tell us what you think. Uh, this part of the show should be called China versus Everybody. As we mentioned, right now, China controls the vast majority of uh, rare earths, as the Swedish originally called them. They've raised the price of some of these elements by as much as 1,000% in recent years. Also, there was a fishing dispute also with Japan a few years back, and China retaliated by cutting off exports of these substances. And this gave them a lot of clout and helped them resolve the issue. Uh, The worry about China having control over this high-demand resource type has sent the U.S. into an emergency mode that continues today. But this wasn't China freestyling. This plan was decades in the making, and it was an accurate, brilliant prediction on the part of Chinese analysts based on a couple of factors. First, this sort of mining, crazy expensive, especially if you care about the environment. Two, China wanted to create a situation where at the lowest cost of production— super good vertical integration, and a lot of industry subsidies. And then they rolled out their plan. They wanted to control the entirety of the supply chain so much as possible. They wanted to capture Western intellectual property, or IP, and they wanted to embed the materials that they touched into U.S. commercial and defense systems. They were super successful. China dominates the market. It mines 54% of the world's rare earth minerals today, and perhaps more importantly, it processes 85%. Yeah. Uh, So let's just break some of those numbers down even further just to the actual elements themselves. In 2021, China produced 98% of all gallium 
and 71% of all silicon and 41% of arsenic. Important. It's up there with old lace. Uh, I was about to get, get out of my head. <laughs> so uh, these Chinese firms also control 80% of global cobalt refining. They also control half of the DRC, Democratic Republic of the Congo's cobalt mining. That's 25% of global production, roundabout. This means that the majority of rare earth elements mined outside of China are going to end up there anyway. They're shipped over for processing into high-value metals and magnets and alloys. And over time, the IP that the Chinese uh, government and state-supported companies acquired, often from Western companies, meant that they were increasingly less reliant on those other countries' manufacturing processes. And this leads to what Deng Xiaoping called uh, something kind of poetic. In response to a question about this, Deng said, the Middle East has its oil. China has rare earths. And it's not hyperbole. Uh, It's a little poetic, but... It's a real thing. And the U.S. knew about this hustle since pretty much day one. At first, they just didn't do anything about it. I don't, I don't think they knew what a big issue it would become. Do you think China did? Oh, yeah, for sure. hundred percent. I mean, well, because, you know, it was obviously like I mean, this stuff was important for many products. But I wouldn't you say that it's the smartphone revolution, like the iPhone, the, the whole like, well, that, that insane number that you just put out, Ben, uh, that maybe really, really pushed it over the, the line in terms of like how necessary these things are? Yeah, that's a huge part. Semiconductors, as you mentioned earlier, that's a huge part. Well, bombs and the way to make bombs land where they're supposed to land, uh, you need semiconductors. Yeah. Electric vehicles, It's a big part. Part of the rollout for EVs has been stymied by uh, these supply chain issues. I just just wonder how U.S. could have been so short-sighted. Well, here's the other thing. A lot, let's say, of the economically viable deposits of rare earth minerals exist. They just happen to exist on land that is controlled by the country of China and the, you know, the the borders that create China. They just happen. They just happen to be there. So it's also a bit of luck, I guess, in a way. Um, all working together at the same time with the factors you guys mentioned. And the U.S. closed down a lot of mines due to those mm-hmm. environmental concerns. In fact, uh, we can talk about this a little bit, too. Um, we'll hold it for U.S. solutions. Uh, but let's, let's get there in a second. Uh, for years now, the U.S. has been thinking about how to respond to this after initially ceding control and closing down their own stuff. They might resurrect domestic mines, all those old, like, 49er gold mines that are out decaying in the West. It turns out if they have anything worthwhile in them that's not gold, because the original prospectors weren't looking for that, then they're going to open them again. They're going to try to. And um, let's hope that first one works out. Because the other possibilities are not things you would want to consider lightly. Yes, yeah, we all know they're haunted. Yeah, yeah you know, rare yeah, by the ghosts ghost. of old prospectors past. Mm-hmm. Yep, there soon they could be leaders in the afterlife semiconductor industry. Uh, look, these things power America's advanced military, its digital economy. Vehicles, smartphones, radar, fighter jets like the F-35, name it. These chips are essential for U.S. national security. And once you cut past the headlines, this deficit is one of the main reasons the U.S. has not gone full nuclear in a trade war with China just yet. It's because they're entirely reliant on imports for the supply of rare earth minerals. Number two supplier of rare earth material to the U.S. is Estonia at about 6%. Number one is China at about 78%. It's a distant second. Well, and you remember we did an episode a long time ago on Chinese interests in uh, mineral mines in Africa. Remember that? We talked about how, oh, man, that's a little weird. China's really going hard extracting minerals from Africa. We know there's resource extraction. We understand that. But it was it really was part of this bigger game that was happening that we could kind of see at the time when we were talking about that, because gosh, that was probably 2012, maybe 2011 uh, when we were looking into that. And now you can really see that this is a major part of China's foreign policy, right? 
at least what in what their interests are in Africa. Yeah. Yeah, because the thing about an authoritarian centralized government is that it can more easily enact long-term plans. You know what I mean? Without those plans being up for political debate every two to four years. So it's it's true. Uh, and Uncle Sam is aware of this. And they've been making increasingly focused, and I would argue at times desperate, overtures to African mining interests. It's an uphill battle, though, because China's foreign policy on the continent is formidable. And it's got a hell of a head start in this part of the great game. In this particular chapter, we talked about the Belt and Road Initiative, which from a purely objective infrastructure perspective is amazing. But they also give scads of friendly infrastructure loans to these countries with serious strings attached. And African governments, of course, look, most people obviously are extraordinarily intelligent. The people who are leaders of these governments and of these countries, they are well aware of previous experiences with U.S. companies, and they're not super jazzed about it, nor should they be. So all of those factors combine to make China the clear leader on the continent for now. And that's why the Department of Defense is trying to throw money at the problem. They're hoping they can wave some money over it and make it magically uh, disappear. The DOD is planning to provide $35 million in funding for a rare earth processing plant in the Mountain Pass mine in California. And the DOE, the Department of Energy, will fund a $140 million demonstration project to process rare earths uh, and other critical minerals from coal ash, which is, you know, kind of killing two birds with one stone. Uh, toxic stone. Um, the DOE has another $3 billion investment uh, in refining green metals such as lithium, cobalt, and nickel, which are absolutely critical for decarbonization. Um, and there's also a lot of talk about subsidizing domestic mining interests or even nationalizing them. That's dun, dun, dun. an interesting prospect. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just to go back to that mountain pass mine, that's the one that I was thinking about at the top. We were talking about how the numbers have changed. Because uh, the last time I looked at it in 2020, that single mine in California was providing like 15, 16% of the world's, like the global production of rare earth elements. Pretty crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the for, for conservationists, this is clearly a victory to shut down mines like this, right? You're helping preserve the world for your those who come after but how does that match up against the tremendous profits and the tremendous need for these electronics that people are so you know so into these days uh you have to add. and plus uh a lot of people in the u.s across political spheres don't like the big n-word nationalization that uh, has kind of shades of um, communist ideology, right, to too many people in the U.S. So will any of these strategies be enough, though, if one or all of them happen? Uh, if Again, if you live in the U.S., you better hope so. The situation still looks grim. I mean, sure, you could say China's taking a golden goose opportunity and running with it, but they're not just doing it to be jerks. Remember, we said demand for these and related materials is skyrocketing everywhere. China is no exception. Their demand is skyrocketing, too, domestically. And that means, logically, at some point, China will theoretically have to limit its exports, not to hurt others, but to maintain its own growth. And um, we've talked a little bit about how the government approaches uh, the concept of human rights, Right. They, they're thinking less about civil rights and more about what they call economic rights. So the legitimacy of the government continues to depend upon this con, like continuing year over year growth. It keeps the pitchforks and the torches in the closets. Uh, so all this means that unless the situation fundamentally changes, something has to give. This is untenable. What does it all mean, though? If you take it all together, it means African countries continue to be subjected to resource extraction. Same song, just different, different part of the chorus. Geopolitical manufacturing pressures indicate that deep sea mining will become inevitable. It will probably happen. These materials may not get a lot of coverage on your average evening news program. 
But that also might change as they become increasing flashpoints for talks of trade wars, maybe even hot wars. But at this point, a hot war between China and the U.S. is unlikely based on the situation. I hate to say it, you guys, but that doesn't mean there's not a war in the cards. It just means that the powder keg would likely be something else. And even if it was a war over rare earth resources, it would almost certainly be advertised as something else to U.S. voters, right? You don't want to... People, people want to have smartphones, but they don't want to think I'm supporting a war so I can keep play, playing, you know, Best Fiends. <laughs> Great game, by the way. Uh, I've actually Great been game. really into Peggle Blast lately. That's a fun one, too. And Royal Match. Uh, but no, it's no laughing matter. I mean, you know, this isn't the same as like deep sea fishing. This is deep sea mining. This is absolutely destructive to all of these ecosystems that we barely understand. And it's sort of like a common thing that people just do. It's like, oh, there's a thing. Let's go get it. Wait, what? Ramifications? The future? Nah, it's fine. Let's just go in. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, to your point, Ben, when we're not going to hear about it, I think we will when this industry's version of Deepwater Horizon occurs, you know? There's going to be some major disaster. It'll be... An environmental disaster at its heart, but That's in the end, it it'll takes, be like, though. oh, the whole the whole you know mission is destroyed. Basically, all of the infrastructure got destroyed in this accident, um, and then there really won't be any more whatever rare insert rare earth element here on the planet because some little thing went wrong. But it's also like companies like that don't pivot. Or start making promises, you know, to be greener or to be better stewards of the environment until something like that happens, because then it becomes like a cleanup game of like protecting their image and being made to seem like better stewards of the environment, even though they're the ones in there that have wrecked it in the first place. It's a pattern that's just really depressing. Yeah, greenwashing. I want to give a special shout out. Uh, to something that I hope happens. There is a great sci-fi horror film called Underwater. came out in 2020. It's uh, one of the best recent Lovecraft films I've seen. Um, also, Color Out of Space is great, but this one's Underwater. Check it out. Is, let us know. Is it a flooded, like a flooded town, coastal town, or is it actually underwater? It oh, is with Kristen a story Stewart. about it. Yeah, and Vincent Cassell. Yeah, it is quite good, yes. It's a group of uh, workers at a deep sea drilling facility at the bottom of the ocean and about their hijinks. Uh, so <laughs> we'll leave it at that. Let us know what you think. I'm glad you liked it too, Noel. And either way you look at this, not just the deep sea aspect, not just the geopolitical tensions, not just the deaths of so many innocent people in the mines, mining overall is hugely important. And it's dirty. And in many ways, it's vital to what you listening today consider to be civilization. And a lot of it functions in the background. And that is 100% by design. The next time you pick up a phone or you see any number of nifty gadgets around your house, remember, when it comes to rare earth elements, there's definitely some stuff they don't want you to know. And you can find us online. Because you already got them, right? You already got the rare earth stuff, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you definitely do. Uh, and, and send us more. Send us more of your thoughts, your ideas, your concerns, your questions. We want to hear all of them. You can find us on the internet. We are Conspiracy Stuff on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Uh, lots of new YouTube content coming out uh, every week. Check those out. Uh, you can also find us on Instagram, which we have uh, really put a lot more um, interesting content into of late as well. Uh, some memes, reels, all that good stuff. So please go Give us a follow if you haven't already. You can find that at Conspiracy Stuff Show. But wait, there's more. Yes, you can also call our number, 1-833-STDWYTK. When you call in to the voicemail system, it is a voicemail system. Give yourself a cool nickname. We don't care what it is. Make us laugh. That's the best. You've got three minutes. Say whatever you'd like. Please include in there whether or not we can use your voice and name on the air. If you've got more to say than can fit in those three minutes, why not instead send us a good old-fashioned email? We are conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com.
Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool. I think you're so talented. Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids just like yours. And all content is fully human moderated. Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. And that makes us FACET for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- National Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander. With seating for up to eight passengers and available panoramic moonroof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with the whole family. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota. Let's go places.